0: Every day during this great and terrible pause, Coot Street has been spending 10 minutes talking to readers and book lovers from around the world about what they've been reading and how they've been dealing with these strange and difficult times. Today I'm joined by the critically acclaimed Hugo and Je- Shirley Jackson award winning author of Blindsight and the Rifters trilogy, Peter Watts, who joins me from somewhere in far northeastern Canada. Hello, Peter.
1: Hello, and it's not going to get any more specific than that. <laughs> So tell me, how are you? How are you? How are you dealing with these crazy, insane times? Well, it's weird in in the sense that I work at home all the time anyway, right? Um yep. it's it's a little weird having the rest of the family around all the time, um, but there I'm having I'm having really strange dreams. I'm having a variety of much more vivid and less logical than usual dreams. Um, I'm not being especially productive. And I'm kind of rubbing my hands in glee because, like, I guess back November was the last time I did an interview with someone when I said, you know, they're they're predicting that we're going to get a series of rolling pandemics, hollowing out our urban cores, starting within the next 10 years. And and, and all I was really doing was, like, parroting what other actual experts have been saying, right? But now you can go onto, yeah. onto YouTube and see, Peter Watts predicted the pandemic. <laughs> and And you'll, I mean hell the last uh, second last story i wrote for you right cyclopterus yeah. it had a lot of this stuff in it and and uh i'm just i'm just sitting back eyeing the the lessons we we might be learning terrified that we the lessons will not stick and yeah. waiting for the main event because this is this is a training wheels this is a mini this is a mini apocalypse this is this is a g rated apocalypse right there's a there's a bug out there in where was it um, Malaysia? Nipah virus, right? Uh, back in in 1998, it it had a 38 percent kill rate. It just came out of nowhere. I think it came out came out of bats originally, but it, it jumped to humans via pigs. Uh, 276 people killed, 106 of them, which is like a, a huge honking kill rate. It's higher than smallpox. Um, it's it since then it's been sort of popping up here and there doing sort of small intimate venues with a lot of sort of unplugged acoustic performances. And it's been racking up kill rates as high as 90%. Um, There's epidemiologists Mm -hmm. out there saying, saying we we've got to start way we're, we're looking in the not too distant future uh, at pandemics with, with a mortality, like hitting a billion. And um, that's like, this is, I look around at, at the people on Facebook saying, oh, yeah, this isn't Mad Max at all. We're sharing our sourdough bread recipes. I'm like, (laughs) you people have no fucking clue. I shouldn't laugh because
0: on one hand, you're right about the Mad Max apocalypse people who are uh, lovely, and they mean well, I'm sure. Uh, But in terms of the, the real world, no, it's not the real world. So let me ask you this: the, the real world isn't falling apart, but it's showing you how it could in a really nice kind of sketch for the future. Are you able to to read, to function, to work, to do those things?
1: Um, I've actually started reading again, not so much as a result of the of the plague, but uh, just because having been raised by Baptists, I was, I was raised with this gut sense that if you enjoy doing something, you should stop it. It's not real work. <laughs> so back when I was like in high school, grad school and stuff, I would go through several books. I would read just for pleasure, several science fiction books a week. And mm-hmm. now you could say maybe several a year. Now that I'm a full-time writer, I never seem to have any time to read. And when I do read, it's these painfully boring things from, from, you know, brain cancer monthly or whatever it is that I, it picks up on my RSS feed and it's like, oh, maybe I'll be able to make an upbeat story about this. Um, <laughs> so, but, but they're not that much fun to read. Right. So lately I have been, I have been scheduling like little half hour increments where I force myself to read for pleasure as ironic as that sounds. Um, and right now, what I'm getting through is uh, Carl's latest, Carl Schrader's latest, "Sealing Worlds," um, and, and I'm about two-thirds of so the way through it. what
0: is that? that and is it fun?
1: Fun? Well, it's it's basically a thought experiment. It's um, I started reading it. Now, the next one I've got lined up is uh, "Game Changer" um, by uh, I guess it's Alex Beckett is the new pseudonym, but uh, yeah, yeah. and I've gone into these because I am I am profoundly skeptical and one might even say contemptuous of this whole hope punk movement. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've read articles on what hope punk is and I've read the manifestos and they all seem, you know, you've got you got Kelly Robson telling us that we're not allowed to write dystopias anymore. And and so I decided I should probably read some of these hope punk books. And, and so I went into this. I went into Carl's latest with, a, you know, with a certain amount of skepticism, ready to pick it apart. And you know, actually, it's pretty good. It's well thought out. Yeah. It's it's um, it gets a bit didactic in places, but but I'm hardly one to throw stones on that account. <laughs> um, you know, it's it it's very smoothly written, which is unsurprising for Carl. It's got it's got a million ideas per second. It's it's really, there's there's some issues that it has not addressed, but I've still got a hundred pages to go. So so um, I suspect that that he will. Uh, will address them. He has a a fundamentally different attitude than I do. I I think he and a lot of people are still sort of counting on the essential goodness of the human spirit and and technology to save our asses. Um, I'm more of the opinion that, that if we manage to worm our way out of this crisis, we'll just build another one. Because the problem is not the technology. The problem is human nature. So I think, I mean, I mean, there's something called Jevons paradox that sort of dates back from the Industrial Revolution. William Stanley Jevons noticed that the more efficient the use of coal got, the more we were consuming coal, which seemed totally counterintuitive. And you see the same thing even today with things like computer memory. You see the same thing. I mean, my basic argument is that if we come up with some way of making solar 10 times cheaper, we as a species will just figure out a way to to hoover back 20 times as much of the stuff because we will expand our <laughs> appetites to... to I mean, that's just the way we're wired, right? We are wired yeah, to yeah. maximize our fitness in the moment. And the genes have no way of looking ahead and saying, yeah, this is really maximizing your fitness now, but three generations down the road, you'll all be dead. So <laughs> evolution has no foresight. So so my thinking is that that we're basically screwed... We'll be hopping from crisis to crisis until one of them does us in, until we can change the real source of the problem, which is human nature. And I think that Carl is fundamentally more optimistic than I am in this regard, and I think most people are.
0: Do you see a way in story to be optimistic about the future? And I don't mean the whole Pollyannish optimism, pessimism thing, or even the hope punk thing, but just a pathway forward, for us to survive in some kind of recognizable fashion,
1: um, yeah, I do, but I guess the question is, what's recognizable? Uh, I mean, look at my—I mm-hmm. uh, wrote a story for um, the X Prize people a while back called "Incorruptible," and it was, you know, the X Prize—they're like a a bunch yeah. of privileged Silicon Valley types who are saying, "Yes, let us, you know, write your fiction showing us how." How twenty years from now the x prize derived technology will have saved the world, um, so I came up with something called the Teresa Tweak, which actually rewrites human nature so that instead of getting off on sugar or sex or instant gratification, you actually get off on making tough ecological long term decisions um the The analogy I used was that utopia is on the other side of the fire pit, and you 've got to run across the fire pit to get there the sort of no gain without pain mm-hmm. thing, right? You have to run across the fire, but yeah. the brain, the gut, which is what you make your decisions with, only sees the fire. It doesn't see the payoff. So what you need is either a race of stoics who will nobly fight their inner drives 24-7 and nobody will cheat or you hack human nature so that we just get off on walking across the fire. Um, that's That's one possibility. You know, there's another possibility. I think... If if some sort of Heath Ledger Joker type um, went into CRISPR tech and manufactured some kind of a virus that caused people to overproduce nociceptin in the brain, that would just that would just shut down greed. I mean, if dopamine is the chemical that forces you to constantly strive for more, that you know, five yachts is is all you want until you've got five yachts and you see your friend has six. Now you want 10 yachts. Like it's, it's that, it's that chemical that floods the receptor sites and the receptor sites say, Hey, we're flooded. We should grow more receptor sites. So greed is this, this endless horizon, right? And it's powered by yeah. dopamine. susceptin is basically the fuck it. I give up chemical. And, and it's, it's, uh, it makes you stop desiring that kind of stuff. If we could somehow engineer ourselves so that we became less in the way of greedy assholes, uh, one of the side effects of of nociceptin overdose, of, of course, is that it, it tends to lead to depression. But that's actually a feature, yeah. not a bug, because, because the clinically depressed are actually more objective empirically about the state of the world than so-called emotionally healthy people. They've done all sorts of studies on this. It's a, there's a, a move underway to have clinical depression reclassified as depressive realism because the depressed Mm -hmm. actually have a better grasp of reality than we do and i don't think there's anything more scathing an indictment of of the human condition in that we take the people among us who are empirically the most objective and we label them as victims of a pathology
0: yeah do you see any merit in the kind of idea that comes up? And I, I just read a little while ago the new Kim Stanley Robinson book, The Ministry for the Future, where he talks about carbon coins and all this kind of thing. Do you see merit in the idea of trying to monetize the health of the economy so that capitalism gets redirected to trying to actually fix the the environment because that's how it makes profit?
1: Um. I haven't read that particular work. I'm familiar with the idea of ecosystem services. And from, you know, as back in grad school, like we're talking in the 80s, you have people coming up saying, look, you know, we've got to tell, we've got to tell um, the industry, we've got to show the industry that they can make more money, that, 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 you know, you get billions of dollars from wetlands, that trees produce so much in terms of dollars. And I have two problems with that. Uh, the first is the moment you say this forest or this coral reef or this wetland mm-hmm. produces three billion dollars worth of ecosystem services. At some point, mm-hmm. some some asshole like Jeff Bezos is going to haul out his checkbook and say, "Okay, here's your half billion dollars. Get out of the way while we develop this." So I think it's kind of a double-edged sword attaching monetary value to environmental life support because yeah. because the moment you put a price on something you're running the risk that somebody will pay that price and then you backed yourself into a corner another problem is that many ecosystem services grow very slowly i mean macmillan Blowdell, uh, they were the our our west coast forest rapers i don't know what your guys are down there but i mean the whole idea that that you know they tried to sell us lay people on the idea that, that of course they're going to be good stewards of the forest, because if they wipe out the yeah. forest, then then that's bad for their business model. They need healthy forests, but you do a little, you do a little, um a little back of the envelope calculation. You realize that forests regenerated about like 10 or 12% a year, or a few percent a year, right? Which is way, yeah. way below the current level of of inflation that, that Mac and blow was looking at. I mean, in terms of capitalism, their best bet was to take this very, very rich but very, very slow-growing resource. Slow-growing resource. Wipe it all out. Take that money and invest it in silicon chips, or gallium arsenide, or lithium, or something that would have a much higher rate of return. Um, the problem I see with with, and again, I'm probably just speaking out of my ass because I have not read Robinson's Robinson's piece on this, but what I yeah. what I know of ecological economics is that that so many of these systems grow so slowly that I don't see how you could restructure capitalism in a way that would continue to make allow people to make ecological profit. Okay. Um, profit off of something that grows as slowly as a mature ecosystem. Um, it's possible, I mean... Uh, Robinson is a very smart guy. Maybe he's figured out some way of doing it. But I remember seeing him at ReaderCon a few years back, actually describing economics as a voodoo science that pretends to be scientific but really isn't. <laughs> well, and and, and I myself have have frequently um, compared economics to to basically Klingon or uh, Dungeons and Dragons for for geeks with MBAs. Yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's elegant. There are people that go to Klingon summer camp. It has its own <laughs> rules. It has its own grammar. It's internally consistent. The only problem is, there's no such fucking thing as Klingon. It's it's a <laughs> it's a complete artifactual construct, and we have sort of bought into this thing that tells us that there is no cost associated. With polluting a river with mine tailings, we have bought into a system that says, "Hey, divorce is good because then people have to buy twice as many refrigerators and microwaves." Um, we have built into we are we have bought into a system that literally says, "Look, you know, five hundred thousand people dead from from coronavirus. Well, yeah, that's tragic, but we've got to think of the economy." Yeah, um, I so I, uh, I, I i am i am i am skeptical of rejigging capitalism so that it will profit off the environment Um, the point of the point of capitalism by definition is endless economic growth yeah and that's cancerous that's not something that can be sustained on a on a finite biosphere so uh, if you're asking is there some way of coming up with a circular economic or a donut economics model that that will preserve the environment and allow us all to hold hands with the bees and the elephants yeah i think that is quite possible but i think that it if it's going to work it can't be fundamentally capitalistic at its core
0: yeah well let me ask you this because we're getting towards the end of our time and i did want to touch on it since we were going to talk about reading and working and writing in amongst this what do you have out in the world what's new from peter Watts? what's coming up
1: Uh, nothing's really coming up. I mean, I don't have, I don't have any tell. I don't even have an agent these days. Um, I've got, um, well, apparently a story of mine is appearing in Japanese pretty soon. Um, I've got, you know, there are, there are translations Coming out the wazoo. I mean, there's there's new translations of my work coming out in China and in Russia. Russia has has, has optioned um, what's its face? The Peter Watts is an angry sentient tumor. Um, I am yeah, working yeah. on um, I am working on Omniscience, the last of the sort of the the blindopraxia books, and I'm I am working on uh, intelligent design. The problem with his, with intelligent design was that. I've been wanting to write it since 2010 and in 2010, I was going to set it 10 years in the future. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I am. So, so at this point, a lot has to be rejigged. Um, And I'm fortunate in that. I don't know exactly how this happened because I mean, the last time I wrote a full-length novel was 2014. I wrote a novella that came out in 2018 that did very well. Um, but I, have, I don't write that much. And nothing that yeah. I've written has become anything close to a bestseller. Um, no. But for some reason, I seem to have accumulated enough money that I don't actually have to worry about writing anything or getting any income. Like if, I, if the money stopped coming in tomorrow, I'd still be okay for three or four years. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know how that happened, but but it it takes a lot of the pressure off. And my fear is that perhaps the reason that I'm not getting any writing done is because the pressure is off. And at this point, I'm just saying, hey, <laughs> I have I have enough money to keep me going until babiosis or anaplasmosis or henra virus or something wipes out the infrastructure. Um, there's actually a plan. There's actually a plan in place locally at the Pickering nuclear plant. For to lock a skeleton crew inside the plant, not let them out, put them in there with food and simply guard the plant so that when the the infrastructure outside collapses and we're all going after each other with, with two by fours with nails through them, there will at least be a protected skeleton crew that can keep the nuclear reactors running and keep the lights on for another 35 minutes. Um, And with that, uh. I mean... Who cares about the next novel, right? <laughs> like, as long as I have enough to buy a bunker full of spam, I'm okay.
0: Well, here's to having a bunker full of spam. But for the moment, Peter Watts, thank you so
1: very much for making the time to talk to me. It was a pleasure, and you know, I hope we do get to see each other face to face again. I do too. We we need we need to drink. If there was a time that, like that if there was a time that was made for heavy drinking. This is the time.
0: Yeah. But until then, take care. You too.